Welcome to the Tone Duff Sessions, hosted by Bruce Duff, author of The Smell of Death, musician, producer, and artist manager. The conversations are recorded at Tone Duff Studio in Hollywood, California, and are a feature of Rare Bird Radio. Hello, and welcome to Lemmy Interview Tone Duff Session Part 2. If you haven't listened to part one, that's step one. Go back and listen to it. Everything that's going on here is explained so you can get into the groove of it all. Basically, we have now flipped over the cassette and we are beginning to hear the other side. Enjoy. It always does. You think it will? Oh, it always does. Because they don't know anything about the people they sell the music to. And they don't try and find out anymore. They have like marketing research. You know? But they don't have anybody who lives on the street in a squat with five other people who has one cassette player with one speaker gun, you know, and listens religiously to this one band, demos. You know, they don't have anybody doing that, and that's why they always fuck up. What do you think will turn it around, though? Something we don't see yet. And I'm looking forward to it, actually. It might be us. I mean, do you think Nirvana was sort of like that, in a way? They were fucked before they started, though, because they played the game. Immediately they were signed, all in bands played the game. That's what struck me as odd. In terms of what? What do you mean exactly? Well, they did everything the business told them to, seemingly. I mean, they went bland immediately, didn't they? You know, except for Pearl Jam, I would say, maybe. Pearl Jam delivered a very creditable second album. And they well, didn't do a bad second album, we won the first one. But do you think that's the that's the business's influence on them? Or? Yeah, I do. I think the business influence was on them before they even started playing. Because in America, the buck is king, you know, and people lose track of everything else. You know, they lose track of everything for the dollar. And it's going to blow up soon because when you do that, you neglect people, you know, and you shit on people. And if everybody is shitting on somebody to get to the top, those people at the top are going to get pulled down and fucking quartered, you know. And they're going to deserve it too. I think I think all them big record companies are going to go out of business because they're fucking up too much. They fuck up all the time. How many bands do you know have been dropped in the last year? Well, a thousand. A slew. A thousand, you think? All over America? I think it must be. Why'd they drop them? If they're going to drop them, why'd they sign them? If that's all it took to drop them, why sign them in the first place? To be seen with a full roster, right? It's just crap, you know. It's like Minnie Mouse games, musical chairs, you know. And it's the people in the business play with each other. They go out and say, oh, we got them and you didn't, you know. They're the new thing and we got them, you know. But it could down the studio time, though. You want to see the advance we gave them, you know. And the band has to pay for everything and the band has to do this and do that and upset the so-and-so and uh, but not put those lyrics in there. Can you change that line? And they're in the studio with you, you know. Saying change your music. I said, what the fuck do you know about music, man? Most you ever heard about music was fucking adverts on the TV before. Now, fuck off out my studio. This is mine. You know, I might let you in if you ask me nicely, and I might let you put my records out, but you don't belong in here. You know, I mean, this is your place, this is my place. I don't come in your office and tell you which checks to write, do I? You know, don't fucking come in my studio. You won't have it. Well, so a lot of that just has to do with musicians being greedy. I mean, you hear about all yes, these uh, advances that are extremely exorbitant, then the band has to sell a cabillion records just to make their initial advance back. But they shouldn't take that big of an advance. Because they don't need it. Like, we needed it because we wanted to be independent to do this last album, but all the advances we had before were smaller. 
we had less to pay back, you know. Because some of the advances they got, I mean, Michael Jackson, right? I mean, Sony will never, ever, and if you, if you live to be 100 years old, make that money back, right? It's ridiculous, you know, it's like Johnny Winter. CBS, same firm, right? CBS gave him, what was it? Nine million, I think, in 1969, right? <laughs> he spent it in four years on cocaine, right? <laughs> Completely fucking nuts. Never delivered a decent album until Rock and Roll Hoochie Q about three years later, right? When he already left CBS anyway. <laughs> Clive Davis, man. I mean, if you've got nine million dollars, why do you really need to think about making an album, right? That's a good you say, hey, fuck it, you know. I'm going to the beach, right? You know? <laughs> I'm not going in that nasty studio, I think about shit and then do this cocaine and go to the beach and get fucked, you know. I got nine million dollars, fuck off. <laughs> well, that's it. It's pretty true. <laughs> yeah. And so it should be, if you've done them, there's no need to keep running, you know. Well, with all the all the different deals you've had, I, was, I wrote down some of the labels. I mean, it was Funny enough, the best slew. one was bronze. The best What's one that? was bronze that came out. Because bronze did at least have integrity, they, they had to believe it before they'd push it, and they pushed it well when they, when they started to, you know. In the end, the business fucked them over, took them over, took them over, see, took the business, took the business over, took Bronze Records over, and now Castle have uh, bought all the back catalogue. Castle now, Rock, right? No, just Castle Communications. They own, I, I, listen, it's the most amazing fucking firm, this Castle. It's one of the, uh, all-time stories against corporate entity. Eight compilations of ours out on three different labels in this country. So you guys get paid for all of that, right? Yeah, eventually. They hold it screen Well, so, uh, have they sort of consolidated your well, whole back catalog? Well, they're the market with our back catalog. Who's going to know if it's a new record on it? Have they consolidated at all? I mean, is there are there holes in it somewhere that aren't out? Well, they wanted to sign us on the last time we were up for the for a deal, you know. Which would be this for this record? For that last one, yeah, for Passage. But we wouldn't. I don't know. I would have gone with them, I think. But there was also an offer from somebody else in England and these Germans, and the Germans like doubled everybody else's offer. You know. And at this stage of the game, I'm nearly 50. I said, "Fuck it, take the money." You know. But then they managed to hold half of it because of the German-American tax agreement. I don't know that idea. No. Americans play, pay double tax in Germany for some reason. They on Germany, something to on do with money more earned in Germany. Yeah. So you have to get a waiver and a withholder and a fucking this and that and the other. And you have to sign, you know, these things that say the record company is doing their job when they were and then they give you the rest of the money. Wow. It's good, isn't it? See, all these people do is sit around all day dreaming up shit like that. Ways not to pay you. Yeah, right. So, why should they be allowed to, you know? We need more indie shit, you know? We need a lot more indie shit going on. We need people to cripple them like the indies did in England, and, you know? <laughs> There's another couple there. Well, the thing is, though, the small indies, faces though, are crippled like by... Uh... Small faces cut like they got. The indies are sort of crippled by uh, the majors, though, in terms of distribution. They. They deliberately seem to keep them down. Yeah, but why do they keep them down? How well, can they keep so them they can down? keep control. But how can they keep them down? PMG started somewhere. Well, that's true. Yeah, so, you know, but the people are so used to being beaten, they won't put 
a risk out themselves. So nobody's taking any risks and nothing happens. You know? I don't understand it, but I do know that's the way it's playing at the moment. Somebody could have come out of left field and refused to do anything for him and scare the fucking living piss out of him. I hope. I'm sure it will happen, actually. Well, what do you think their uh, ammunition will be? Like, just some wild new music that, that people have to have? They'll just do something that they don't understand. The in industry will fight them and they'll win. The kids will win it. Kids always do. Kids you can't be made to buy dross. After a while, they realize, you know, hey, wait a minute. Didn't I see this compilation on another fucking label two weeks ago? You're getting fucked here, you know. Because everybody isn't an archivist, you know. Everybody doesn't want everything you did three times over on different vinyl, you know. Right, exactly. People want to get the right version of the song that they've seen on, you know, MTV or on stage. They want the proper version. They don't want a two-year-old remix of a fucking track without the vocals on it. I mean, there's tracks on one of these, which are like the basic tracks without the vocals. Really? LCD on. Hi. Over the Top Live. We are the Road Crew Live. Future Kitchen Man Live. Don't Need Religion Live. One Track Mind Live. Go to Hell Live. Dr. Rock Live. Built for Speed Live, Speed Freak Alternative makes no vocals. Blues it, instrumental, no vocals. Let me go to the pub, rare track, that was just one of the tracks with no vocals. I Don't Need No Religion, instrumental, that was the same track with no vocals. Alternative makes the same, back at the funny farm, live, 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 live. So live. you don't even like a lot of this so stuff. So that's shit, that whole thing right there. How did they get it? They bought everything we did in the studio, all the reels of tape with Mudhead written on them. How, who'd Bronze they buy records. it from? Bronze Records. When bronze went down the fucking pan, you know, they bought it all. Well, actually, GWR bought it, which was on ex-manager's label, and then that went broke, so Castle bought it all of them. So, actually, way before that, mm. the band has lost control of these tapes. Oh, yeah. You lose control as soon as you record it, because the company owns it. It's on a contract to that effect. And don't make no mistake about it, you know. And you, when you're first signing with the label, you ain't got no clout, you know. You can't say, no, I'm not signing this, because you have to sign that, the rest of the band will kill you. Oh, he's the difficult one, you know. It's always that, isn't it? And it's not fair, you know. And I don't know, I never understood why they had to take all your money, either. When they steal half of it, they can give you half, you know. They have to take every fucking penny. Those miserable, cold-eyed, hard-hearted bastards. Still, you know. I don't want this to be a diatribe all the way through the interview. She took well, no, off. but I mean, it's interesting. I mean, a lot of people are afraid to say this sort of thing, and it, if it's true... What have they got to lose? You know? Who knows? If they're going to get fucked by the industry, whether they say it or not, say it. And say no to them, you know? Fuck you, you know? You won't come in the studio and tell me what to play. You won't alter my lyrics. You know? Fuck you, I spent more time than you have on them. You know, I know what I'm doing. I know about rock and roll. I am fucking rock and roll. You know? And human are not. And never will be in a month of Sundays, you know. And for them to tell me about the musical content of an album is like ludicrous to me. I just wouldn't even So companies actually with get involved with you at the Oh yeah, they try and the change lines, you know, and, and the song and that, because it might offend somebody or something. I say, listen, I don't even discuss this with you. See, I didn't think that really happened with the band at your level. I thought they would just our maybe level, sticker it. All level members that we never had a hit in this country in 19 years. Yeah, but I mean, you're a legendary. Legends are dead. Legends are not looked upon as contenders. Legends are looked upon as that cranky old man with that funny band 
who uh, we should have on the label for on the roster for like prestige purposes, but we don't have to do anything with because they're dead legends, you know. That's the thinking. I know corporate thinking. I'd do that if I was them. That doesn't mean I have to let them do it to me when I'm not them, right? Well, at this point in time, does does the band generate enough income to get along okay? Obviously, we're still here. Yeah, but I mean, where does it come from? Shows? Yeah. Merchandise we, mainly? We break even merchandising is a big help. And, um, of course, large advances from people. I mean, we're living on advances all the time, you know. Hands and mouth, like, just paying debts and getting into some more, you know. But it's all right, because we're still playing. We're still getting across. If I get one kid in the world that doesn't molest his little sister because of that song on that album, then it's worth it, isn't it? All of it. Just one. It's worth it. And if I get one kid to question what his parents say, you know, as like gospel truth. One kid to question that bland bullshit that passes for common sense in America, you know. That religious rubbish on the TV, I mean, it's awful, you know. And I'm a citizen of the world, I'm not an English usurper come up over here to upset America. I'm really not. That stuff on the TV on a Sunday is like claptrap fucking gobbledygook in any country. You know, and I'm sad to see it in a country this far technically advanced to see medieval witch chasing going on, you know, on five different channels which they own, you might add, you know. And these poor misbegotten fuckers sending in their money because they lost track of life and they want somebody to help them. And they think Jimmy Swagger's going to help them against anything? He's going to be the first one on the fucking lid, get out of here. As soon as the fucking thing starts falling down, you're going to abandon them fuckers. <coughs> the Lord will provide, motherfucker. See you later. Vroom, you know, a big J S on the side of the plane, you know. I'm surprised he didn't change his second name to Caggett, so he's a big lip That That's real obscenity in America. That Robert Tilton, he's obscene. He is actually, I can't watch him. He is actually obscene to me. He makes my skin crawl. You know, when he shuts his eyes and starts to, like, roll, you know. I think that is the most cynical motherfucker I've ever seen in my life. Let us pray to our Lord, you know. It's so awful. It's really like seeing a little girl fucked in the ass, you know. It's really like that. It's that bad. And people think he's like, the cat's fucking whiskers, don't they? Like, you know. People write to him and ask him questions. Have you seen that guy, Shepherd's Chapel? Have no, you? No. Oh, he's wonderful. Channel 18 every night, man. Live from Arkansas. How much money has he got to project here from Arkansas? And he sits there and he's not even got a rudimentary grip on life. Common sense, never mind the Bible. He sits and interprets the Bible for people when they write to him, you know. They say, um, what about, you know, Nebuchadnezzar and they have been the fucking begat, begot, begotten, you know. And he says, well, now look at here, now. Imagine if you was going on a saloon for a drink, some guy come up to you and say, you know, he's like fucking some cracker, you know. American flag behind him because everybody knows God's American, you know. I think he's possibly Polish, actually. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> good chance. Um, so a song like uh, Don't Let Daddy Kiss Me was really inspired just to maybe influence people to, yeah. like, open their eyes. Nobody would talk about it. Aerosmith said Jenny got a gun, but you couldn't really tell what it was about. I would never have known what it was about unless they turned to it in an interview, you know. I would never have got it from the video or from the song. So I, I thought I'd do one that, like, you couldn't make any mistakes with, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm quite good at that. Well, direct communication. Well, you can't hedge around your bets with my songs, right? At least. 
I can write, you know, gobbledygook if I want, but it's a great word, isn't it? Gobbledygook. Can you spell it? It's G O double B L E D E G double O K. Gobbledygook. It's when disinformation is another word. That's a good word, isn't it? Yep. I mean, how the fuck can anybody use a word like disinformation and not crack up laughing? <laughs> it's a lie. You know, that's it. They measure atomic radiation in sunshine units. How's that, huh? Chernobyl was a, a super prompt critical power excursion. <laughs> excursion? <laughs> Who the fuck came up with that? <coughs> or a core rearrangement. I heard it called as well. A core rearrangement? Core rearrangement. How about just a major fuck up? How about, yeah. But they gotta dress it up, see, so you feel better about it, you know. And you go out and buy all your six packets of fucking whatever they just advertised. And what was the other thing they said? Um, in <laughs> what was it? Inaccurate delivery of ordnance, shelling your own troops. Delivery of ordnance. Why can't they just say friendly fire? That was about as grotesque as I ever heard. How can you have friendly fire? You can't. Obviously. If it kills you, it's unfriendly. <laughs> If it blows both your legs up, it's even more unfriendly. Yeah, I mean, really help you, you know, taking in the stretcher with the guy sawing off your leg as you go into the ambulance. See, don't worry, it was our guys, you know. Oh, that's okay then, like, give him my regards, say better luck next time. Huh? <laughs> Fuck off, you know. You got all them gun sights and fucking, you know, trajectory things and you can't even fucking stop firing on your own people. What the fuck's the matter with you people anyway, you know? We should cover some bass stuff before yeah, I know. we roll out a tape here. Well, you can keep, keep it so far for, for your own use. No, no, I mean, I'll use all, this is a big, this is a big feature, Lemmy. You're, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna rock in this. You'll see. Okay. Um, well, when, when did you actually start, switch from guitar to bass? Let's go back that August far. 1971. And that was for Hawkwind? Yeah, I went for a job with Hawkwind, because I, I met this geezer that played the ring modulator in the band, and, uh, he decided to leave the band and go to India. But he only got as far as Gloucester Road, which is in the wrong direction anyway. <laughs> to go west, you know. And so um, I met him and we discovered we had a mutual interest in seeing how long the human body could be made to jump about without stopping, you know. So we hung out together for about a month till his money ran out and then he decided he was going to go back to the band and he took me with him because he didn't have any friends really in the band, you know, because he was the, the lone speed freak, you know. like. Hi, old silver, faster, you know. <laughs> so he took me back with him, and um, they, I, I was going for a job as a guitar player, but I didn't know that David taking over lead. But the bass player kept not showing up at these shows, but his bass, like what an idiot, left his bass with them. Now this could kiss a death, isn't it? If you're not going to show up, keep your bass with you. That makes you indispensable. If you leave your bass there, you're gone. I was playing his bass, you know. The guy said, "Who plays bass?" And Dimmick said, "He does." I mean, you bastard, you know, I never picked up a bass in my fucking life. I was opening that gig in London, I went on stage and Nick said, make some noises in E. This one is called You Shouldn't Do That. I said, oh, thanks, you know. Not a word about it, it goes today in the middle or anything like that, you know, just make some noises in E, right? I was with them for four and a half years anyway. They never actually told me I was in the band, though. I was on trial for four and a half years, then they fired me. <laughs> Now, what, what were you using at that time? Was that the, sort of the same Rickenbacker Marshall setup that you, you use now? Uh, Hawkwind bought these stacks I'm using now. I'm still using the same stacks. You, the Marshalls you use now were from the Hawkwind days? Yeah. 
Damn. So one of the guitars is too. Um, I got a Rickenbacker to use for about three weeks when I first joined because it was still in the gear van, you know. But then I had to get my own bass because he wanted it back, having been fired, not unreasonable. And um, Del Detmar, who was playing the synthesizer at the time, bought one in an auction at Heathrow Airport, a German bass called the Hopf, which are quite good basses, actually. That was a good bass. I played that for about a year, and then I got a Rickenbacker, you know. But it was this revolting pink salmon colour. The Rickenbacker. Yeah, fucking awful thing. So I sanded it down to the wood. And I got um, a Gibson Thunderbird pickup and put it on it. They had a crash sale of Thunderbird pickups. I think they had three of them in Denmark Street in London. And I bought one. And uh, it sounded like, I don't know, a razor being driven through a fucking concrete wall. You know, it, was, it was pretty good. So I turned it up. <laughs> now, that 415 cabinet I got is a, a weird one because I got it from Marshalls in Bletchley, uh, not in Bletchley, in Ealing from the Marshalls store, and the guy in the store told me that it was made by Marshalls for his son, Jim Marshalls' son, who had taken that bass, and then he got sick of playing bass, decided he wasn't going to do it, and they put it in the shop to sell. But then, later, two or three years later, questioning Jim Marshall about it himself, he said, no, I don't know what it is. He said, I never made that. So it might have been something the factory sneaked out to his son, you know, without telling him, or it might be a complete story, I don't know. It's just one 415 cabinet? 415 and 412s in each stack. I got two stacks in each stack. And that's the stuff you've had to talk with? Mm hmm. And uh, super bass two amps, JMP ones. What are those, 200 watts? No, 100 watts each. Well, that's all? No effects. Man, it was pretty fucking loud for 100 lots of watts of bass. Well, there's 200 really, two stacks, right? And they are on, you know, quite up into the little numbers, you know. <laughs> Leslie Westman sent me a, a volume control for my bass with 11 on it. You know, my, one of my roadies smashed up my bass and I got lost, it was a shame. That was a great bass too, custom Ricky. Some guy had all the plastic taken off it and done with veneer uh-huh. of wood, you know, different colours and right. swirls, it was beautiful. And this roadie used to be a junkie, I was trying to give him a chance because nobody else would, and that's what I got for it, he smashed up my favourite bass. But we won't talk about that right now. So what is the what's the model number on the uh, Rickenbackers you use? Is it 2001? No, the one I started with was um, 5000, right? Yeah. The ones I got since then, what am I talking about? 5000? What, what is those? Three, two, whatever it is. The first one was the dots on the neck, you know? Uh-huh. But then the all the others I've got, except I got a prototype one, which is really strange. It's a shame I haven't got it here. It's probably a picture of it in one of these. It's the only maple Rickenbacker I've ever seen. Maple Nut Rick, yeah? You ever see one? Uh, not in a store or anything, no. Me either. And uh, I bought it. This guy rang me up one night. And he said, you play Ricky Backers, don't you? From the West Country. I said, yeah. He said, well, we got one here. He said, do you want to see it? I said, yeah, all right. So he really obviously stole it, you know, but I mean, it was already stolen, it's too late, I couldn't help the guy. So I bought it off him, 85 pounds. Really? Still using it now. There'd been three sets of machine heads on it already. And so somebody made it into a fretless space by getting hold of the frets with the pliers and pulling them out the neck, you know. <laughs> well, it does the trick, you know. So I had to refret it and then I put new pickups in it. I put Bardellini's in it. They work very well, they're very, like, 
tough little pickup. So the one with the T-board pickup in it, is that the one that got trashed? No, that's my number two bass now. That just went rubbing hood on me, you know. We did sterling service for a long time. I've had the neck mended since, but um, that, that old Thunderbird pickup's, I think it's knackered, you know. It's been there a long time, since 1971. It's got a right to be knackered. Which one are you looking for? The new one. I've got it at home, so okay. it's the one you're playing. Yeah, in that it, picture. it's got the Ricker sound thing, the double. So those are stereo bases, right? Yeah, but at least a stereo bass, you know. I mean, do you run it stereo to each each amp? You just go out to, to one and then to the just other? Just the bass goes into the amp and it comes out to channel two and goes into channel one on the other end. You know? mm -hmm. The only thing uh, I use that's like technical at all is a radio mic, you know, that's all. And they've used any effects or anything. So I've never had to, you know. Your sound really hasn't, you haven't really altered it in all these years, have you? No, I didn't need to, you know, because you can just get a bit more basic or a bit more treble, you know what I mean? I, I never saw why you needed to do a lot to your bass all the time. Depends what music you're doing, of course, you know. But with our music, I mean, I can play everything we play and we do. Like, um, Lost in the Ozone on stage, followed immediately by Liar or Going to Brazil, right? And I use the same tone. It's how you play it, you know, it's like the tone. People are like drunk with power, you know, and all this with electronics. It's how you play it, you know, it's the point. Still, there you go. It seems to me, and maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like on this, this new record, the bass is a little bit more out front and there's a little bit more soloing on it. Well, there was a bit less, actually. I, I did a bass solo, yeah, but there again, I've done a few bass solos. Oh, I've done a few bass solos in my time, you know, lad, I. I remember 1820 it was there, I was me and Napoleon. I've got to find that freaking old You know how things bother you when you're a speech Ah, uh, yep. You know, going around looking for things that it's people might have It's your album, too. You must know where it is. I do know where it is. It's in this apartment. <laughs> the details for the moment escape me, but it's in this apartment. And that's with the maple neck? Yeah. And that's your number one base? Yeah. It has been for a long time now. Well, I didn't realize until I pulled everything out before I was uh, getting ready to do this. Uh, so many of your, of your records have almost the same cover. And that's variations on a theme, it's called. No two are alike. Get the full set. <laughs> Be the first one on your block. <coughs> it's a great logo, isn't it? I mean, oh, yeah, it's pretty timely. They've come up better than that. Any particular kind of strings you use? I use Dean Markley. And very good they are, too. I used to have a deal with rotor sound, but they lost their edge a bit. Yeah, but over the years, they're just not made with the same. Nothing ever is when it becomes popular. The thing that was a craftsman, you know, like Marshall Amps, you know. I mean, then JCM 800s. I mean, I, they sent me some down to try, you know. And I, I called Jim Marshall up, you know. I said, I'm sending them back, Jim. They're no fucking good. Why are you sending them to me? Give me some JMP, you know, super bases. And, like, he repairs mine for free now, you know. And, like, there's a guy in a German band I've done, just done some recording with called Skew Siskin. And he's got like this basement in Berlin. It's about the size of this apartment, but long, right? And he's full of vintage Marshall stacks. 
Georgian Marshall cream his fucking knickers if he went in there. And he used this as a, a preamble of Watkins copycat, one of the old ones with the tape. Mm-hmm. You know, and Watkins tried to buy it back of him because they'd forgotten how they made him. How'd he get his hands on all this stuff? Well, when it was going, you know, when it was out, right? He bought it back then. But Watkins tried to buy it back because they'd forgotten how they made it. How is that possible, right? Where are the blueprints? Yeah, I'm not uh, I'm not familiar with, with Watkins. It's just an echo chamber, you know, the old tape echo chamber, you know? Like an echoplex, sort of. Yeah, right. Well, they wanted it for a, an exhibit. You know, it wouldn't be used anymore. It'd just be in a box, you know, in a glass case. And he said, no, fuck off, I'm using it, sounds great. So yeah. make a reasonable facsimile and put that in your fucking glass. Why do you think the stuff isn't... Uh as good as it used to be. I mean, I would, I would think Marshall would want to keep their... They needed more of it, you see, quicker. And transistors are much better than tubes. You know, stuff like that. So transistor takes away half of your roar already, doesn't it? And then it's like only a matter of time until people start saying, could you turn that down? You know, like, and so they make small amps and small amps. Then everybody's playing through combos with the microphone, then it going through the, you know, on we go into, you know, Never Neverland, where everybody's happy all the time. Everybody's pixies and elves, and nobody ever gets hurt in a road accident because the policeman wouldn't let them. <laughs> do you have a, Do you have much problem with your amps breaking down? Are they, are they pretty reliable? No, they're all fucked. There's one actually is burned out. <laughs> it looks like a car wreck. <laughs> it went on fire, and the roadie was changing a string at the time, and he couldn't do anything about it because me and Rose will just have one guy over our side, you know. <laughs> Fucking smoke coming out of it. At least it had the decency not to feed back while it was doing it. I don't regard them as sacred like objects, you know, these, I mean, they're implements, aren't they? I mean, they're what you do, what you do with. They enable you to do what you do. You know, they're not in and of themselves a sacred like relic, you know. Right. Fucking hit the bastard thing very hard, I say, and quick about it. Right. So were you able to replace that, or...? Oh yeah, I mean I got about six or seven of them. If ever I see a Marshall JNP Superbase two, I'll buy it usually. You know, I'll pick up a couple here and there and pirate them for bits and things. You know, it's an ongoing pirate situation really. But I never change my cabs. I'm cabinets are like gold. Do you know what I found the other day, man? You wouldn't believe it. This guy I used to know from a bank called the Escorts in Liverpool years and years and years ago, the ex-drummer. Came and said, found a couple of Marshall cabs you might be interested in. Going pretty cheap, he said. Do you want to have a look at him? I said, yeah, all right. Got in the van, went down the road here about what, half a mile. Got out, went in this garage. This guy's standing there. He's got two mint Marshall 415 cabs. And, the, you know, I mean, the fucking fabric is perfect. They're perfect. Not a corner off. 450 the pair. Really? That's unbelievable. Yeah, isn't it? I thought you meant each. <laughs> He didn't even mean it. quibble. 450 the pair. Man. Man. Woman. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody. You know, that's fucking astounding, isn't it? So those are stored away, I would imagine. Yeah, they're my spares. I'm going to keep ones, ones. Shipping is very expensive between here and Europe. I'm going to keep a stack in Europe and a stack here, you know. When you guys record, do you uh, track everything pretty much live and then uh, yeah, just then we, up on the lead? Well, we did the drums for the first time in our lives as Motorhead anyway. We, did the drums and then wiped everything off and started from there. On we, this record? Yeah, we did the drums in A&M, you know, and then we went up to um, Primetime up in Burbank and did the rest of the tracking. Did you like doing it that way? I don't mind, you know, as long as it works, and it works. 
I'd have to say we couldn't have done it that way with the film. It would have taken too long, you know. And a and is not cheap. No. I, thought, I think we spent about a quarter of the budget right there, you know. Just getting the drums. Mm. And there's more vocals on this album than I've ever done before. On uh, Devils, there's, I think, I think we did 12 vocals and took about five of them off. What, different tracks of just Different harmonies and, so and layers and like fooling around, you know. I mean, that, like, and um, we bring the shake, it was originally called Fighters. That went through a couple of computations before we got that right. But like, we proved now in the last three albums that we can do like stuff that stands with anybody. But all that time before when we were on the budget, we did Orgasmatron in two weeks, you know. Two weeks, the, the whole deal done. We were still mixing it when they were moving our gear around, they were bringing the next band in, you know, watching the clock all the time. So all these albums could have been that good, possibly. We'll never know, you know, and it's a shame, isn't it? And the business killed it. They made a record they couldn't sell to save a quarter of the cost that they'll lose not selling it. I like it. Brilliant. <laughs> Much more of that. We need Noah's Ark again, for Christ's sake. So with it, he's not three. <laughs> what about if those two don't get on? Oh, never mind, just two, you know. Well, you guys are getting ready to come up on your 20th. How much How much longer do you think Motorhead will, will sustain? People always ask that. Why is that? Why do you think you people why do, why? Well, because 20 years of a, of a band is a long, long, long time, especially that stayed so true to what they started out doing. I never, I never considered not being honest, really. It didn't seem like a hell of a job, to be honest. I mean, it seemed like more of a job to be dishonest. It would have been awful to play music you didn't like because somebody in an office thought it would be more palatable to somebody somewhere and, like, lose everything you got. And then, like, play music you hate for the rest of your life and hate yourself for it. Fuck that for an alternative. You know, I just said, no, this is what we do, you know. You signed us, you have to put up with it. Some of them did, some of them didn't. It's really nice to meet somebody who'll go out on a limb for you, though. It really is rare, but it's really, you know, there's always somebody who will. There's always somebody in an organization that says, fuck you to his own organization when he does wrong. There's always one in there somewhere. And he'll lose his job for it, you know. But that doesn't matter, because your job is not important if it makes you despise yourself. Yeah? Exactly. If you're going to die ashamed, shoot yourself now. Why well, you still have that much courage, you know? Because to grind on all your life doing shit you hate, in the kind of life as far as I can see, that's a miserable fucking outlook, isn't it? Well, I mustn't upset Mr. Jessup, you know, fucking hell, he's the head of department. I better go and eat this turd off the street then, he's probably like that. So you don't see any end in sight? This can go on for uh... It can go on as long as I can still fucking do this. <laughs> and some partly that. Quit. Start. I'm started yet. Yeah. How can you say I've got equipment on the Well, I think that's uh, pretty much it. Uh, I'm going to put all this together and see if there's uh, any gaps. I got your phone number. I'm just there's no under gaps. Huh? There's gaps is what we were good at. Um, let me see. Where's that tape? I'm going to play something. I've been playing with this band in Germany called Skew Siskin. You ever heard of them? Yeah, I yeah. have. You like them? Um, I've only heard a little bit. What have you heard? Uh, I guess they have one album on here. Yeah. Is that this morning? 
So what what are you doing with them exactly? Um, I sang on a track with them. And I wrote a track with them and sang on it as well and played bass. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, why not? You know, it's fun, man. Yeah, I mean, you used to get uh, resistance from the rest of the band over there, right? Well, that why only from Eddie. Kit? Fast Eddie, yeah. People come up to me, these kids, you know, in Germany, and say, have you seen Fast lately? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's his first name. <laughs> fast Eddie. Yeah, I seen him the other day, yeah. No, it wasn't very fast. I just did a vocal on a track on his new album. He's putting out a new album? He's out, yeah. Didn't he sell like a bunch of like really kind of sub-level rehearsal tapes or something, put it out as a Motorhead album? Yeah. But I get royalties, I couldn't give a fuck. If they want to buy it, let them. But I don't mind, you know, it seems fair to me. Did you hear the thing we did with Gill School? Yeah. Did you hear the other side of it? Where we each did one of each other's tracks? No, I didn't. They did Bomber and we did Emergency. I'd like to hear your version Eddie of Emergency. Eddie sings it. Eddie sings it. Yeah. Let's hear that. Yeah, it's... Uh, as far as when you switched over to bass, um, was there anybody in particular you were listening to or that you thought was good? I never listened to fucking bass players. Dwayne Eddie was good. He was the best bass player ever. <laughs> <laughs> sax player should have been on the record, not his name. Old Dwayne Eddie was just... Dun, 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 dun. I liked... Um, I like bass players that didn't like accept the fact that he stood next to the amps and looked stupid, you know, like Entwistle. I always liked Entwistle. I think he's my favourite bass player. Him and McCartney. Yeah, great. McCartney's unbelievable, you know, but Entwistle's faster. And he makes complete sense. You know, like both hands are going like fucking mad. And you can't tell what the fuck he's doing, but it's perfect. But the best example of that is uh, that um, listen to I hear the music, you know, the Woodstock. And he comes in behind Townsend solo. Fucking hell, sounds like an orchestra. <laughs> or Live at Leeds. Yeah, that too. That's pretty awesome. I think that really shows what, what he really did in the band. Yeah. Well, he, he nailed it all down, you know. The rest of them could go off and do what they wanted. It wasn't the drum that But he still wasn't that playing band. anything that simple. No, fuck no. He was playing the most complicated shit I've ever seen in my life. I mean, you can have Jacko Pistorius. For me, I'd rather have interest than any day of it, you know. Not to slight the other geezer, you know, but don't do it for me. Anybody uh, nowadays that you think is uh, anything special? Me? He's a good bass player now. Oh, that fellow at the Chili Peppers, he's good. What's his name? Flea. Flea. Yeah, he's good. Trouble as he knows it. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody keeps saying, oh, Jesus, you so, you know, it rubs off on you after a bit. I don't think of myself as a bass player anyway, I'm a rhythm guitar player. Well, yeah, that's what, I mean, everyone's more or less said you're a rhythm guitar player. Yeah, but I do play good bass, though, like in Oakland I play good bass. But you think you play good bass with Motorhead, too, don't you? Yeah, but it's different. Like in Oakland, I had a lot more freedom, because there's a three-piece inside Oakland, you know. And with the original Motorhead, I had a lot more freedom, because I could, I could go any place. I didn't have to stick with one of the guitars. Right, and it's much more worked out now. Um, so that's the difference between playing with one or two guitar players? Yeah, because we, you can you can only truly jam when there's only three of you. Anybody else, like, shits one of you down, you know. Why did you go with that format then? Well, I couldn't decide between them. They were both so good, and they were both very different. One was like Eddie and one was like Brian, you know. Wurzel plays like Eddie and uh, Campbell plays like Brian. 
That's an interesting point. I never really thought about that, but it's, it's pretty true. Yeah. Oh, here we are. I found an emergency with Eddie singing. And that's the end of the tape. Uh, that's the only tape we have. There were four hours of this interview uh, back in the day, but who knows where it is now. Such is life. We'll be back with a newly recorded live interview the next time. Join us next time for a special noir novel edition of The Tone Duff Sessions. Our guest will be Richard Lang, winner of the Hammett Prize from the International Association of Crime Writers. His latest book is The Smack. Also joining us will be Grammy nominee, longtime publicist, and owner of groundbreaking Silver Lake venue, The On Club, Howard Parr. Howard has also written a noir novel, and his takes place in the 1970s through the 1990s music business. It is entitled Once Upon a Time in L.A. 